Welcome to Bullshift, the podcast where we talk about behavioral finance in general, and in particular, where we talk about how the financial services industry shifts your attention to make you feel more bullish. My name is John DeGuy. I'm the host of the podcast and the author of the book, Bullshift. My guest this week is Russell Baskin. Russell is a certified executive and retirement coach at Trella Consulting Group. She brings a human development background to her work, and she believes that there's always a better way to look at everything in life. Russell, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be here. I always like to begin by having my guests give, them, give us a very quick summary of what they do in their day job. So what, what is it like being a, a, a coach and helping people get more out of retirement? Um. Well, I a short answer would be I really love it. I um, enjoy helping people and finding out about people's challenges, especially around life transitions. And now more than ever, retirement has become a very big transition process for people because we're living longer. And therefore, retirement is not a blip in our life, but actually a third stage. Um, so I have always loved relationships, um, getting to know people, helping, um, trying to understand what it is they want to achieve and helping them figure out how to get there. So along with retirement coaching, I also do tr life transition coaching and also work with family businesses as well. Uh, especially with owners who are exit exiting the business for one reason or another. Great. Well, it's funny because life really is a series of transitions, and I I think as we as we head into the end of 2023 and into the new year, there are so many things that people have become increasingly aware of that they are not static that 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 keep on changing and life keeps on coming at yes. you. I'd like to begin by asking you to comment on one of the big themes of this podcast is, is optimism bias. And people are optimistic about a lot of things. And one thing that you and I have spoken about in the past is the fact that people are living much, much longer now than they, than they have previously. Yeah. And that then uh, invites a, what, a, a bit of a conundrum. Uh, are people being optimistic about how long their finances will last for them, or are they being pessimistic about their life expectancy and or or maybe optimistic about dying young, depending on how you how you think of it? But I guess what I'm wondering about is reconciling people's thoughts about how long their money will last with how long they think they themselves will live because there seems to be a disconnect there. Well, I think people are um believing that their their sort of lifespan is uh unknown and i was talking to a, a wealth uh, wealth advisor the other day and now because of you know uh research and and ai and technology with a few questions you can pretty much um hit the nail on the head so to speak on how long people are going to live so when your wealth advisor says, I'm doing a wealth plan until you're 98 uh, or maybe even 100, they have a, they've done their research and their analysis, and you probably are going to reach that age bar some 
um, unpredictable uh, accident or, or something that comes out of the blue. So um, I think this can be pretty scary for people. Um, so I would say they, I guess you could call it overly optimistic and, but also that people tend to want to shy away from information that doesn't fit into the plan they've already got for themselves. So we tend not to want to think about that. Death is a, is something in our society we, we shy away from in general anyway. So um, we try and sort of fit reality into what we would like it to look like. Right. Just to put some numbers around this, just as an example, let's say you have a million dollars and you want to retire when you're 65 and you think, okay, what I can do is I can pull out 4% adjusted to inflation for the next, uh, for as long as I live. And that's 40,000 this year and maybe 41,000 the year after and, uh, you know, uh, 42,2 the year after that and so forth. And a lot of people are optimistic, in my opinion, as far as I can tell, in thinking that the money they have will last longer because they are, these are my words, not yours, they are pessimistic, they undersell how long they're likely to live. And, and as a result, uh, they might be set up for um, challenges at the very end of their life mm -hmm. because they might run out of money at age 90 and find that they're still in reasonably good health and and never really thought about living that long and when you ask them they say geez i did everything right you know i planned i saved i had this nest egg built up i withdraw what i thought was prudent amounts and yet here i am I'm wondering if you come across that or if you, I, I, because it's ironic, a lot of people who work in the financial services industry work with relatively wealthy people. So they might have more than a million dollars. Yeah. But the other thing, of course, is that wealthy people also are, they tend to have um, better lifestyle. They eat better. They're not as, you know, not as likely to smoke or be overweight mm -hmm. or whatnot. And so they live longer. So the good news is they have more money. The quote unquote bad news, depending on your perspective, is they also live longer. So what they you know, they need more money. Yes. Um, are there which groups of society perhaps are the most susceptible to having a shortfall, either because they didn't save enough money while they were working or because they unexpectedly live longer after they've stopped working? Uh, I definitely think the um, the you know the baby boomer generation and um, and also the generation before that. I know somebody, somebody's mother, who is already is coming on to being eighty seven, and she's permanently uh, expecting to not last another year, and yet she's extremely healthy, even though she smoked and at whatever she wanted, doesn't exercise because that wasn't a thing in that generation. So she hasn't done anything to uh, particularly help herself um, live beyond 86, but yet in all likelihood, she could live another 10 years and she's not prepared for that financially. Um, and her answer is rather than cut back on what she spends she's she's kind of i wouldn't say she's wishing herself to to die but she's expecting it to happen she's like 
where is it already, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, which is, you know, which is a very strange situ situation for sure. Um, I think people, I think people are not used to the fact that our life inspect expectancy has increased to such an extent and it's a norm, it, we're getting into it being a norm. So it's not as unusual, you're not an outlier if you're in your, in your 90s and, and still fairly healthy. The other thing I think people don't want to look at is the, the life expectancy doesn't, uh, being higher doesn't equate to uh, us not having an unhealthy um, ending. So, uh, it's a it's a a bit of a paradox. We're living longer, and uh, and more of that life can be lived in a in a healthier and very active way. But there's still many many people on their maybe the last five years or so that are going to have um, serious health issues because we're um, we're trying to keep uh, ourselves alive no matter what. Um, and in some cases, it's um, it goes beyond that, uh, beyond sort of a, a life that feels um, that is, you know, worthwhile living for some for some people. It's more. There's nothing else to do. You're just trying to sort of put up with it the best you can. Have you come across people that have chosen consciously to work perhaps a little bit longer, a because they find the work fulfilling? And B, because they are mindful of the fact that they might live well into their 90s or maybe even into to be 100. And, uh, you know, the money just has to last longer and they, they can only watch so much Jeopardy in life. Right. So what, do you, what are you going to do to fill the day once you stop working? I, I think there's definitely uh, I see clients that are uh, working longer um, and not necessarily because they have to. Um, there'll be one group that is working longer. Uh, doesn't hasn't even really done any financial planning around you know retirement because they don't want to retire then they don't even want to talk about it so they just they continue to keep going very often these are people that are running their own businesses so they're self-employed or they're running a, a bigger business like a family business and so they're not going anywhere. So it's not unusual to have somebody in their 80s that are where their children may be running the business in name only, but the ownership lies with the with the with the owner that doesn't want to to leave. So there's uh, there's the children that that think they're owners, but they're not because mom or dad or both are still around and they're actually making those decisions. And that's got nothing really to do with money, though money could be an issue if all of their assets are uh, invested in the business, then it become, that's another situation where it becomes difficult. And then there's uh, people, professionals that are just passionate about their job and I am. Um, I have a a couple of coaching clients who are are. We're working on the, a three year plan for them to retire, and even that retirement is um, is not a full retirement. It's a retirement out of the office, but they're going to keep some clients. 
Um, and these people are in their 80s, so they're not even looking at uh, uh, slowing down until they're 83, 80, 84. And so, um, and that's not because of money. They have plenty of money. They, that it's just their life and they can't imagine what they would do um, if they weren't doing the work they were doing because they love it so much. Well, that's great. Obviously, having a passion in life is important for anyone, irrespective of you know whether yeah. you're a business owner yeah. or not. Yeah. Good to have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. I heard you. I heard you give a presentation about a month or so ago where you were talking about business owners using the phrase, using the word "if." They would say, "Well, yes. if I die." It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it, it is. It is. It can be as funny as it seems. It definitely, uh, definitely happens, and I think that comes from that, you know, being a sole proprietor and building and being the one in, like the the rainmaker, and so it it they feel like they can do anything, and and so uh, it's that kind of slip of the tongue. Now I'm curious. You work with obviously some fairly wealthy people uh, in in the mostly in the Greater Toronto area, but further afield as well. Have you seen the Netflix episode called Blue Zones out of curiosity? Because uh, um, there's this guy. I have, I have seen some of it. And I'm, you know, I'm a pretty healthy uh, eater. And, you know, I've always been in the kind of the, the interested in fitness and health and, and that kind of thing. So, yes, I have watched it and I've heard about it prior to that series coming yeah. out. So. It's just curious because um, although some of it isn't directly transferable to the people you and I might deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, there are, I guess for lack of better terminology, hacks that can help to extend oh, your length sure. of life, yeah, which is different from your quality, but. Yes, I mean, I think that the, well, one of the things we can't transfer all year round is sitting outside and uh, enjoying the sunshine. Um, and then, of course, we're living in a, you know, a very big, busy city. But, you know, some of the key points, I mean, I won't go into food because I think it's covered so much. But I think what's really important is, from those um, episodes is that, that all those people have a meaning in life. And it doesn't have to be that they're saving the world. You know, they have a meaning, their meaning comes from the people and what they're doing in their in their lives, from the relationships, from their community, uh, from contributing to that community or contributing in some way to their family. And also because they've got a social network, you know, you don't see them living on their own and, and spending a day where they may not come into contact with anybody. They're always in contact with people either living in, you know, other people that that's living with them. So, you know, when they get older, they're living with family members and then the, all the, the extended family are eating together. And then the, the town is doing, uh, is doing uh, activities together. So I think that's huge. Great. Let's turn the corner and to talk a little bit more about the Western world. And yes. I wanted to have you weigh in a little bit on the world of giving advice to investors. And in specifically, I'm wondering about their expectations with regard to performance. And when you speak with people and they, again, this is the other side of the coin that we were talking mm -hmm. about with life expectancy. The flip side, of course, is, well, how much money is this going to cost if I'm going to live mm -hmm. to be 95? 
How much money do I need to be able to sustain that? Do you think people are properly calibrated? We've already talked about their calibration with regard to life expectancy. I'm curious to hear your thoughts about their calibration with regard to the returns they're likely to achieve over the remainder of their lives. Are they, are they properly calibrated or are people too optimistic or pessimistic about what they might expect going forward? Um, I think in, in terms of couples, I think you'll find there's a, there's a half and half. Usually one, uh, one uh, partner is optimistic and feels confident. Um, and then another partner, maybe not the other side of the equation, not so much. So they have to figure out how to find uh, a balance where they're not constantly uh, worrying about it. So um, I think that um, it depends on the relationship with their financial advisor. Um, and I think that's where it, it comes down to. It's, it's whether or not you have a financial advisor that you've had a long-term relationship with, that you know beyond um, you know, a spreadsheet, that you feel has an interest in you as a person um, and that um, treats you like a like a colleague, if not a friend, and um, is giving you a reality check all, right. all the time. Now, whether or not you hear that uh, and take it into account, you know, so it's a two way relationship. You, you may be getting hopefully some really good advice and suggestions and and um, but on the other end, you have to trust that person, believe what they're saying. I mean, obviously, you've got to be um, smart around it and, and if it, you know, trust yourself as well. But, you know, it's like going to the, a doctor that, that has all this experience and knowledge. But if you're not going to pay attention to what they're saying, what's the point, really? It, when it comes down, what I'm hearing you say is um, it's great to have uh, someone that you can work with that can give you good advice. And, and as long as there's a collaborative, trusting, caring relationship, mm -hmm. that goes a long way. But what I was asking about was a little bit different in terms mm -hmm. of the expectations for returns. Uh, you can have a great relationship and have high expectations for returns or low. You can have a poor relationship mm -hmm. and high expectations for returns or below. What I'm wondering is setting aside the quality of the relationship between the, the, the person that you're consulting with and the person who's getting advice from a professional, you, and maybe you don't know because this yeah. might not be your field. Um, what's your sense? Uh, do you think people are uh, maybe too optimistic or too pessimistic with regard to the returns they're likely to get? Assuming, let's work on the assumption that there is a yeah. great relationship and they, they, they are in fact collaborative colleagues and maybe even friends. Um, what about the returns? Well, I think that, you know, it's not really in my wheelhouse, but from uh, a little experience I've had, I would say that they um, are optimistic and um, and also they, there's a, um, a settling into the to a belief that uh, the returns will be consistent. So I think we saw with when the um, when the uh, rate exchange went up, when uh, those rates were going up and maybe still are, it was shocking to people because we all got lulled into a sense of how it is today will be how it will be in you know 20 years. This is the way life is going to be. So I think that's the biggest challenge is is um, 
one of our strengths as a human species is that we adapt to situations. If you take, you know, the pandemic in the beginning, it was like, uh, it was, uh, you know, everybody was scared and, and you know, out of sort, you know, didn't know what was up, what was down. And then after a while, it became the new norm. And I think that happens with uh, with the financial world too. You know, it's the new, the where we were maybe a year ago, we thought was going to be the new norm. And before the, the last crash, it, people weren't expecting it. And so, you know, if you're not really uh, reading up and, and doing the work that your financial advisors should be doing, then um, these um, sort of, life quakes if you want or financial quakes will take you by surprise and i think that's the place that we you know we get um we get stuck is is that we just think today will be tomorrow and so on and so on there is a, a nobel prize winning economist by the name of daniel kahneman who wrote a book called thinking fast and slow it was published yeah, a little over yeah. a decade ago Kahneman has been quoted as saying that if he could give a newborn baby one gift, it would be the gift of optimism or joy, because uh, study after study all around the world shows that being optimistic uh, correlates positively to being successful in life and having a happy marriage and, and just, just better outcomes in general. So that's a wonderful thing. And it's perverse for me because I wrote Bullshift to talk about how optimism bias can be a threat to your finances. And what I'm talking about is people who um, sort of become lulled into what you were talking about a moment ago, thinking that the past is prologue and mm -hmm. that because they, they've done well up until now, um, they, they assume that, that things will just continue to work out because they've worked out up until now. And that's called optimism bias. You think, you know, bad things might happen to some people, but they're not gonna happen to me yeah. I'm special somehow, right? And I'm, I'm wondering if, if you have any thoughts about, can you even think of a single example, Russell, of where it might be harmful to be optimistic, where it, where it might be an example of being too optimistic? Well, I, I think people can be too optimistic all the time um, in terms of, um, I've seen people be overly optimistic around serious health issues where it's like everybody's pretending that what's that what's happening isn't happening. So, you know, that even though everybody is aware that you're not going to live much longer, that you have a terminal illness. And I know there's miracles and I understand that, you know, you want to stay strong. Uh, in those kind of situations, but perpetually saying that it's, you know, you're going to get better and next year you're going to be doing whatever. Uh, I think that's overly opt optimistic uh, in yeah, my yeah. perspective. And I, I think the same uh, is with finances as well, is, is to think that sometimes like something is going to happen that is will get you out of the situation that you in, that you're in i think there has to be a balance um i read this article and part of it this person was saying that um what you need to do is be uh, rigorous about facing reality so you really got to look 
whatever the situation is uh, straight head on and do all your research around it and really understand what is happening. And then you can have faith, maybe not optimism. But I think we don't do enough sometimes uh, around facing reality as it is because we just don't want to, you know, it's, it that's, may be. That's, that's really well said. That's in fact the way I would portray it as well. Uh, uh, true optimism comes from dogged realism. Yeah, looking at, looking at the world as it really is, rather than how we would like it to be, or rather than looking the other way and denying that yeah. there are problems that are very real. So that's yeah, we have I also think where optimism um, maybe uh, would be well served is being optimistic about our own strength, resilience, and capacity to navigate change. Because at the end of the day, we have no control what's happening outside of us. We, all we can do is believe in ourselves that that we and our community or friends and family will be able to navigate whatever comes our way in the best way that we possibly can. Here, here. I agree very strongly. Okay, so this brings us to the uh, conclusion part of the podcast okay. where I always ask the, my guest uh, about two things. And the first is that's bullshit. Is there something in the financial industry that you think uh, could be improved? I have a lot of colleagues in the financial industry, and um, I think one thing that could be improved, and I've been talking to um, several people in my my network around it, and that is providing, uh, when when they're providing retirement planning, to widen that, uh, widen their team and widen that scope so that it's not just about the financial side, but also helping uh, people that are retired or about to retire or sell their business to do some planning around how they're gonna live their life, how they're gonna find purpose and and meaning. And I think that's starting to happen either because financial planners are uh, and wealth managers are interested in, in that side of it because it's the relationship side that's going to really count as as um, as more things can be done by AI in terms of planning and numbers and and uh, working out, you know, the your life expectancy. Um, there's going to be more desire for um, how to navigate retirement um, once the financial side is sewn up. It's interesting because one or two years into the business, and I've been doing, I've been giving advice to, mm-hmm. to people for over 30 years. One of my mentors gave me a copy of Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. And it's, you know, I've become, I've, as a result, I've spent pretty much my entire career mindful of, you know, what's the higher purpose? What is this all? Why are we doing these things? And, yeah. and I think, I think your point's very well taken. So then let's move on to shift happens. If it was up to you, Russell, what would you do? to specifically, tangibly help integrate these, these transitions in life into thinking about your purpose in retirement? How would you do it? I, I would, I, I think it's about creating a team. So um, in the same way as in terms of, I think about my, uh, my health or people's health, you're not gonna, one practitioner or one doctor isn't going to do it. So in terms of retirement, you need a really good wealth manager or a financial planner 
But you also need somebody who's going to be a coach who's going to help you think about how you're going to make the most of this time and what is it you want this time to be to be about. And then you're you're going to want somebody who's going to have um, your best interest in terms of your health and your and being mobile. So, you know, you want to create a team. And I think you know when we are in our careers, we don't hesitate to have business coaches and um, and a team of uh, personal trainer and on all these kind of things. And and then. When we retire, it's almost like we feel like we don't need any of that because we're just going to be um, relaxing, you know. But I think it's a time where you need to create your own team of people, of which your wealth manager, of course, will be one. But then you will have other people in that team that are going to help you make that transition and and see that you thrive in um, this third stage of life. Thank you. That's a really positive way of thinking about uh, later life, because I know a lot of people, when they think about their later life, they literally have not given it any thought. And as a result, exactly. it can be one of the most frightening things, even though it's supposed to be one of the most exhilarating and liberating things in life. Exactly. Right. I totally agree. Thank you so much, Russell. It's been a real pleasure having you on, and I want to wish you all the best. Thanks, John, and you too. John DeGuey is a portfolio manager in Toronto and the author of the book Bullshift, How Optimism Bias Threatens Your Finances. Bullshift is available online and in bookstores everywhere. The opinions expressed in this podcast should not be construed as investment advice. Bullshift, the podcast, is produced by TalkShoe, a division of IOTUM.